It's interesting looking through the Bible and uh, seeing where certain things crop up and are repeated. There's certain things I've been studying whilst I've been at college where we'll read something in the New Testament and uh, some bits you're probably aware of that if you're reading your Bible it might have a little number on the side and give you a footnote and say and you can see it's in quotation marks and you see oh that's from the Psalms or that was happening one Samuel or something like that and, and, and it's clear and there's some evidence that you know this was something that Jesus said or someone said and it refers to something way back when there's other bits where you're not given that information um, because it's not quite as obvious uh, and so as obviously as a good theology student that I am uh, and trainee pastor when we're taught things I've been paying attention and picking up on those bits where I wasn't aware that what was going on, that there was some link to something that happened in the Old Testament or perhaps was part of a cultural understanding of the day of when uh, the things were taking place that, that we wouldn't have today. And so sometimes I find myself going back and forth and going, oh, I didn't realise that that had a link to there and all sorts of things. Fascinating. And I thought, well, I know we're doing a series when I preach at the moment, where we're looking at hope. And uh, when I was putting that together, I thought, well, for Remembrance Sunday, we'll press pause on that one, because we might do something a little bit different. And I was praying about it, and I thought, peace seems to be the appropriate thing to talk about on the day when we remember those that have laid down their lives. Um, and we think about wars and conflicts, um, but it's good to remember peace and the peace that follows. And I was looking at it and I thought, oh, there's a, a well-known prayer or blessing that said, we'll say it at the end of the service today, uh, and we say, go in peace to love and serve the Lord in the name of Christ. Amen. I think it's probably said most frequently in the Anglican Church. And I thought, does it actually say, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, anywhere in the Bible? Is that just a thing that we, or someone at some point, wrote? So I looked it up. There is nowhere that it says specifically, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. There are various references to going in peace, as we've heard, and there are various references to serving the Lord. So um, somebody cleverly took those two concepts and put them together. Now, I'm not going to go through, you will probably be pleased to know, all of the 13 or however many references it was, and do a sermon on each one and give you the full background, uh, what was going on at that particular time and why uh, Go In Peace was said, because I think we'd be here for quite some time if I did that. I also didn't have the time to prepare such a sermon, um, because I'm busy. But there we go. So I'm going to choose two examples. One is the 1 Samuel 1, 17, uh, which was Eli answered, Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant what you have asked of him. Now, that makes no sense on its own. And you might just take this verse, as people choose to do occasionally, pick a verse, choose to use it for their own desires. And if you chose this, you might think, oh, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Well, does that mean God will always do what I ask of him? Hmm, I could do with a new car. 
I could do with some money. That's always helpful, I find. So if the bills got paid and we didn't have to do that thing where you kind of worry as it gets to the end of the month, that would be nice. Does it mean I can do that? No. You've got to look at the context, which is always the same. So what was happening here, this was um, the beginning. It's just uh, before the birth of a guy called Samuel, who plays an important role in the Old Testament, given that he's got two books of the Old Testament named after him, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, it gives you an idea of, that he was fairly important. But what was happening here was there was a woman called Hannah, and she was distressed. She was very upset. She was troubled, and the passage preceding it talks about the things that are causing her distress. And so she goes to the temple Oh no, there's not a temple then. She goes to worship, sorry. And she goes to worship. And the thing that troubles her is that she hasn't had a baby. And in Old Testament times, I don't know that it's changed a huge amount today. People like to say that it has, but actually there's a lot of people still today that would love to have children, that can't have children, and, and don't feel that they're fully female or feminine or a woman because they haven't been able to do this thing. And if that's you, um, then I'd say it's not true. Um, you are fully uh, a woman. Um, but I uh, can, can empathise with the pain that that must cause. And so she goes to worship and she takes a double portion in the way that they did things. And there's a guy there called Eli. He's the priest. And he sees this woman. And he can see that she's praying. Now the tradition of the day was when you prayed, you prayed out loud. That's what people would do. It's actually a fairly recent phenomenon for us to pray quietly on our own. And do it Usually, historically, people would have prayed out loud. If you go to other parts of the world, people pray out loud. Not just when they stand at the front like this, but everybody would be praying out loud all at the same time. Um, sometimes they try and make us do it at college. And you can see there's some people at college that are really used to it, and off they go praying away, and there's some of us that are less used to it, and we stand there going. I don't know what to pray now, because I'm getting distracted by everyone else praying. But their tradition was that you would pray out loud. Your words would be spoken. And Eli saw Hannah, and she wasn't praying out loud. She had a look about her. Uh, she was mouthing something, but there was no sound coming out. And her prayer was, O oh Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now there's all sorts of cultural reasons about the razor. Don't get caught up on that bit. This was her in her distress saying, God, God, please, give me a child. And if you, if you do this thing for me, then actually I will give my child to you. Because I want to honour you if, as you honour me. And the priest saw this, but he didn't know what the prayer was. And he thought that she was drunk. And he judged her because of the way that she appeared. Because of what she 
was doing that was different to the norms of the day. And so he went up to her and he said, how long will you keep getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Now you can imagine that she was probably having already been somewhat upset and praying earnestly, not best pleased. I don't think I would be. But she says, not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And at that point, Eli says, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. What looked on the outside to be one thing, to be drunkenness, to be someone uh, doing things that they perhaps shouldn't, perhaps being in a place of worship in a way that was unacceptable. Actually, she was engaging with God. And the priest completely misunderstood. He judged her. He looked upon her and went, you shouldn't be here, get out. And then she spoke and said, this is what's going on. So he said, go in peace and may God grant you what you ask for. And he does, which is why we then have the books of Samuel and the history that goes on. The other passage that I want to have a look at very quickly is Luke 7, verse 50. The bit that was read out was, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And the context of this was Jesus had been teaching and preaching and doing all the things that Jesus had done. Uh, and some of the Pharisees said to Jesus, one of them in particular, said, come to my house for dinner. And so Jesus went to his house for dinner. And the Pharisees were quite a, a strong religious group. They, they were very good at knowing the scriptures. They knew what the scriptures said. And if there was a law to keep, they followed it. Very good at doing all those things. And we quite often will judge them and go, oh, those blinking Pharisees getting it wrong all the time. Did they not know? Did they not understand? Did they not see? No, they didn't. But it's very easy to judge them because it's all written down here. I think sometimes as Christians, we're more often like the Pharisees than the disciples. And we get caught up. And going, have you read your Bible? Have you prayed? Do you follow what it says? You're doing all these things correctly. Rather than showing grace and mercy and listening to God's Spirit. And so Jesus went to the Pharisee's house. And the tradition in those days, because usually you're walking around with sandals on if you've got shoes, but your feet get dusty. I mean, today we get dusty shoes. And so if you go to some people's houses, they will say, could you take shoes off, please? Because you don't want to ruin the carpet. Fair enough. Makes sense. We tend to, in our house, because we've got an Arthur and an Edith, say, don't worry. 
because we've got Arthur and Edith and they'll make enough mess and we won't notice that you've walked in wearing a pair, even if you've got the muddiest shoes. But we can clean our shoes quite easily. But what would happen, because it was dusty, if you went to someone's house, they would, somebody would clean your feet. Usually it would be kind of the lowest servant. Oh, come and clean their feet, would you? So you'd have your feet washed. For those of you who know about Jesus washing the disciples' feet, it's part of what was going on there and why it was so out of the ordinary. But a woman turned up on this occasion. And in the NIV, she's described as a sinful woman. Interesting description. It's suggestive that she was possibly a prostitute or somebody who had been caught in adultery. And she arrives and she pours perfume on Jesus' feet. She weeps and her tears wash his feet and she uses her hair to dry them. Now, I can't imagine washing really any of your feet, to be honest. Even if it's with nice, hot, soapy water and you've only had your shoes on for a little while and you probably had a shower or a bath before you came out. I Still, I'm not keen, I'll be honest. But here's this woman who in her, the distress of her own life comes to Jesus and she weeps. Now you've got to weep a lot of tears to be able to wash someone's feet with them, I would think. Your eyes have got to leak a lot. And then you've got to think yourself pretty much nothing to use your hair from the top of your head to be so bowed down to dry somebody's feet. And then to take the perfume that was an expensive perfume and to freshen Jesus' feet. And the Pharisees and even the disciples went, what are you doing, Jesus? She's wasting this and you shouldn't have her. She shouldn't be touching you. Goodness me, she's dirty, she's sinful. And Jesus turned to them and said, none of you, none of you even offered. He didn't call upon the servant to say, oh, we've got a guest, please clean his feet. He didn't do what would be expected, the norm of the day. But she's come. She's poured out what she had. And she turned, and he turned to the woman, he said, your sins are forgiven. I think it's wonderful. In this picture of probably mostly men being around, going, oh, woman's coming here doing that, prostitute, sinful, she's dirty, why? She's like, she's touching him. Oh, what's that going on? She's, she's a horrible woman. She probably felt pretty bad. And to have... I was going to say to have the courage, but I think to be in such a place of desperation that despite the way that she will have been judged walking into that place, she did it anyway. And Jesus says, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. And then he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Both of the stories there talk of happen to be women. 
who were judged by the people around them, by the religious leaders of the day, by Eli the priest, by the Pharisees, by others. And I wonder how many times we perhaps even look at one another and go, hmm, look at them. I wonder how many times we see people outside of here and we think, oh, poor them. Or, oh, that terrible life that they are living, the things that they are doing. If they stopped doing that, their world would be better. If they started living like this, wouldn't it be good? If they started doing, if they, if they, if they, and we forget to look at ourselves and say, what do I do that causes others to feel lower or put down? Or who perhaps feel that they are full of sin? And it doesn't always have to be a big thing. It might be quite small things. And I wonder, and I hope and I pray, how we each can be a bit more like Jesus, to see beyond the outward appearance, the way that someone presents in their actions, and the things they're doing with their life, to go, actually, do you know what? This, this is an individual who was created in the image of God. This is an individual who is created in the image of God. Which means that somewhere deep inside, even if it's covered in all sorts of other things, there is love. How can we as individuals and as a church help to break through, to go against the flow of our society and say, okay, we accept you and we love you. Not because you bring something, you don't have great wealth that will help us out when we need to fix up the church. Not because you're the nicest and easiest person to get along with. Not because you've got qualifications. Not because you're well spoken or you've got a good job. Not because you've got a house to live in or drive the nicest car. Or you've got a good phone or the right clothes. possibly despite those things. And how in the world that we live can we bring a little peace into people's lives? And I love the idea of the world around us going, what did they think they're doing? They just welcomed in them. That, that crazy church in Usley, they've got all sorts of people going in there. What are they doing? And we'll go, we're loving them. 